Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. Godzilla vs. Kong, which is coming out in theaters and also on HBO Max. We need Kong. The world needs him. To stop what's coming. Arch, did you have a chance to watch it? <laughs> I had a chance, sure. <laughs> but you didn't do it, okay. I just I didn't gotcha. take the chance. <laughs> <laughs> I had a chance to do a lot of things. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hello once again, I'm Lou Katz, and I want to welcome you back into the podcast that keeps you informed on the ever, ever changing world of entertainment. And here's how we do it. We first welcome from Vulture and WTOP Radio, Jen Cheney. Hello, everybody. And our guest critic from RogerEbert.com. We love having Ooh. her on. Let's bring on Nell Minow. Bravo. And once again, standing along the foul line out at Hound Radio Park, waiting to catch yes. a ball, yes. it's the one and only entertainment reporter, Arch Campbell. Yeah, I just learned that you look at the ball, not at your hands. It took me a while to learn that, but I just found that out. It makes a big difference. So here we are, and uh, it's always great to be uh, together. And uh, let's start by asking Jen Cheney, what are you recommending this week? I am recommending something that doesn't start airing until next week. So I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it more on the next podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm in the middle of writing a review of Mayor of Easttown. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but it's mm-hmm. uh, an HBO limited series that stars Kate Winslet. Uh, And the description sounds like something you've seen a million times before. She's a detective. There's been some missing girls in her her small town. And then there's a murder of a girl. And she's trying to get to the bottom of it and is very obsessive. And that's certainly a main part of the story. But it's also a, a drama in broader ways about, you know, losses that she's had in her life other things that are going on in the small town. Um, It was actually filmed in Chester and Delaware counties in Pennsylvania. As you know, Kate Winslet is is a a master of accents and she she gets that accent and um, so do some of the other actors in the show, but she's got the O's and and all all, all those nuances down really well. And um, Jean Smart is in it with her and she plays her mother and they live together and they constantly get on each other's nerves. And I would watch an entire show just about Jean Smart and Kate Winslet getting on each other's nerves. I, the more I watched it, the more um, invested I became in the characters and, and really enjoyed it. So um, like I said, this doesn't start until a week from Sunday, but, uh, and we'll be talking about it more, but, but I have been really enjoying that. I've been looking for stuff to read and I've been rereading Mildred Pierce by James M. Kane. And so when you say Kate Winslet, I'm remembering, oh no, if I got it entirely wrong, was she Mildred Pierce or was it somebody she else? Was. And in fact, that was the last yeah. television project that she's done. So this is yeah. her return to that. I medium. love the way they did that. Speaking of loving things, it's always great for Nell Minow to be with us from Roger Ebert and so many things. And Nell, what are you watching? What are you recommending this week? I'm a huge fan of Keegan-Michael Key. And he has an absolutely superb podcast series on Audible about the history of sketch comedy. And I just love it. He talks about, I mean, literally the first printed joke of all time, won't surprise you, from ancient Greece was a fart joke. 
and uh, <laughs> sort of downhill from there. But he is a he's a, a genuine scholar of the history of comedy. And he reenacts, for example, he reenacts his favorite Bob and Ray sketch. He reenacts his favorite Peter Cook and Dudley Moore sketch. And he is just such a awesome. joyous presence to take us through this. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's called The History of Sketch Comedy, and it's on Audible. Wow, that sounds wonderful. Uh, I'm uh, totally engrossed in Hemingway on PBS. And uh, Jeff Daniels reads the Hemingway material and does the voice of Hemingway. And it's just completely enthralling for me. And uh, evidently, uh, Mr. Hemingway had a lot of mother and father issues, <laughs> and a few other issues. But uh, the, the prose is so good, I'm going to run right out and buy uh, Ken Burns' uh, book that goes with it. So. Uh, Hemingway is just, it's uh, my kind of show. So I hope, are, are either of you watching? No, my dad's watching it and he's urging me also to watch it. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'm a big uh, Ken Burns fan. I loved his country music series. Uh, I love being in the same sentence as your father. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that. That's something new for me. Uh, Jen, what is new this week? Uh, we've got a few things to mention. Um, the first one I have not actually seen yet, but it's uh, a new movie that's coming to Netflix on Friday called Thunder Force with um, Octavia Spencer and Melissa McCarthy. I'm a little tentative about it just because I think the embargo on it breaks at the absolute last minute, which is never a good sign. But I do love Melissa McCarthy. So I just wanted to uh, alert people that that's coming out. I've seen it. Oh, have you? Oh, tell me. Tell me now. Okay. Uh, it's got two Oscar winners in it, Octavia Spencer and Melissa Leo. It's got the fabulous Bonnie, uh, Bobby Cannavale. And I have to tell you who steals the movie. You will not be surprised. Jason Bateman. Oh my really? God, oh, I just wanted, I wanted more Jason Bateman. He is so good in it. Uh, he really made the movie for me. It's also set in my hometown of Chicago, and I don't mean pretend CGI Chicago, actual Chicago. So there were a lot of scenes there that I recognized with a big climactic scene at the Merchandise Mart. And, you know, I, I don't know what the dynamic is with Ben Falcone and Melissa McCarthy, her husband, uh, but he seems to want to create roles for her where she's basically an idiot with no impulse control. I don't know why that is. And I like it better when she plays more intelligent characters as she did in Life of the Party. So there's a lot of sort of obvious humor in it. But as I said, Jason Bateman, really fabulous and some very, very funny moments. As you can see in the trailer, the two of them trying to get out of the Lamborghini and their, and their superhero. <laughs> <laughs> and I also so, have to say one other thing I like, which is just the, the premise. This is not a spoiler in any way. They, it's in the first minute of the movie. When, you know, in any kind of superhero movie, there's always some radioactive doodah or whatever, you know, the, the, however they get their superpowers. The twist in this movie is that this force that gives people superpowers only works on sociopaths so who are genetically <laughs> so there so anyone with superhero superpowers is a bad guy the bad guy <laughs> the miscreants and so octavia spencer is trying to invent a way for good people to have superpowers and that's part of what what the movie's about but i love the idea that that you have to be a sociopath to get superpowers Wow. Well, so that's a better recommend... report than I was expecting. <laughs> Trust me on this. Jason Bateman will have you on the floor. He's great. 
How much is it? Is it uh, an, an entire series or one no, just movie? A movie. It's a just a movie. Just a okay, movie. Okay, cool. In, in normal world, it would have been in theaters. Uh, normal world. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> what else, Jen? Uh, there's a new series that starts on Amazon this week called Them, which if you've seen the previews, it I'm sure reminds you a great deal of Jordan Peele and his work. It's a horror anthology series where each season will be a different story. And the story they're telling this season is about uh, a Black family moving to from North Carolina to the suburbs of Los Angeles to Compton when Compton was, you know, kind of an up and coming suburb in the 1950s. And everyone there is white and they're the only black family and they're not met with uh, open arms by any stretch. And I watched the first episode of it and I had real mixed feelings about it because, you know, a lot of the horror that it's depicting is real stuff that happened to people um, and probably still does happen to people of just white people just terrorizing them, trying to get them to leave. And I just wasn't sure, I don't know, it, it felt like it was perpetuating racial trauma to some extent as horror in a way that made me feel kind of strange about it, but it's it's well done. So I haven't watched the whole thing, I just watched the first episode, but that's, that's gonna be out there on uh, Amazon. And then on Sunday night, <laughs> HBO has The Nevers, which is a show created by Joss Whedon. First episodes written by Joss Whedon, directed by Joss Whedon, at a time when no one wants to be doing business with, with Joss Whedon. Uh, oh, great. So, so um, the premise of the series, it takes place in the late 1800s, and there's an event that gives many women in society uh, these kind of special superpowers, and they refer to that as being touched. And so in the wow. first episode, you're you're kind of getting a sense of what those superpowers are. It's really convoluted. I I did not like the first episode very much at all and, and don't feel particularly inclined to watch the whole thing, but they had to split it up. So like the first, I think six episodes will air in a, in a bunch and then the next ones will come a little bit later because of the pandemic. Uh, Again with the superpowers, what's I know. that? Am I right? I know, it's, I mean, it's, it's set in the, Past? Yes, it's in, it's in the late 1800s in, in London. Okay. So that is a little bit different. It's a, it's a different kind yeah. of, it's not like a superhero show in the traditional sense by any means. But uh, I, there were just a lot of characters, a lot of weird stuff going on. And it was, it was kind of hard to keep track of for me. So are there any actors that we recognize in it? There are. Uh, and now you're asking me to remember names of people, which, <laughs> which I'm not inclined to do at the moment, but um, there are, but there are also some, you know, some of the lead roles are, are, are lesser known figures, uh, a lot of um, British actors. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm sorry that I can't like really strongly recommend any of the well, any of this, well, this week. That but, uh, says volumes, right? Yeah. There. yeah. Uh, I did notice a new movie opening this week, French Exit. Uh, has anybody seen it? I've Michelle seen Pfeiffer, it. Lucas I've Hedges. It. It's all gone. Every penny. What was your plan? My plan was to die before the money ran out, but I kept and keep not dying. Was she paying you? Paying me. Aren't you her gigolo? Oh, God, no. That's my mother. I saw okay. it. I got Jen? it. No, I haven't seen it. You did see it, Arch? I saw it, yeah. Okay. I gotta say, uh, didn't like the book, didn't like the movie, good. really. Didn't like the book, really didn't like the movie. And yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer, always exquisite. Uh, Valerie Mahaffey has had a lot of um, attention for her supporting role. 
and uh, Lucas Hedges, but there was just nothing I liked about it. She's the trophy wife of a formerly rich uh, man who dies, and she decides to spend all of his money, and uh, Lucas is her son, and uh, quirkiness ensues, and sometimes quirkiness is just not quite enough, and I thought it was quite lousy. Yeah, didn't you think she was just a completely unpleasant yeah, character? I'm not I saying just, you can't have an unpleasant character as the lead, but she was a boring, unpleasant character. I, you know, I just, uh, I just, uh, I'm glad I didn't read the book. <laughs> and I'm sorry I spent the time. So uh, this is the week after the Screen Actors Guild Awards. And the, actually, this is a, a two headed discussion. Uh, why don't we first talk about the way they produced it. They pre-taped it, did it in an hour, ran it on TNT, and uh, what do we think? I appreciated the efficiency. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it wasn't, it was not an exciting show. I mean, it's certainly no. the, the um, anticipation and the announcement of the awards, it, it just, it, it felt very kind of business-like. But like I said, I appreciated that they got it done in an hour and just, you know, met this moment and said, you know what, let's just do what we're here to do and get on with it. Yeah, if anybody knows how to create television content, it has to be the members of the Screen Actors Guild, and they saw what yeah. they had to work with, and they did, they did the best they could with it. There are a couple things that I really liked about it. I really liked the Ted Lasso skit at the beginning, because I'm a huge Ted Lasso fan, and I thought it was skillfully done and a lot of fun. And as I'm pining, waiting for the second season, it was fun to see all those characters. Hey, y'all, let's focus up. We've got a big night ahead of us. The SAG Awards, and we are nominated for Outstanding Performance by an Ensemble in a Comedy Series. How about that? The other thing I liked is something that they often do at the Screen Actors Guild, which is that they have their members talking about what it is to be an actor. When they all talked about what special skills they put on their resumes, I thought that was very charming and endearing. And they talked about some of their own experiences. Um, I love that. So I wasn't really there to see who won Best Ensemble, I was really there just to, to see actors talk about acting, and that was the part that I enjoyed. I was a little bit overwhelmed by so many clips and so much stuff. They, they started kind of uh, losing me there, but they did it in an hour, so should the Oscars be uh, worried? Yeah. <laughs> uh. I mean, <laughs> they're not going to do it. I mean, we know that they're not going to do it in an hour. I, I don't think uh, the Oscars should be worried. They should maybe be worried for other reasons. Yeah, the Oscars should be worried because they are really losing audience, you know, even before all of this happened. And, you know, it's always been interesting to me that the Oscars made by people who are in the business of creating content are the least competent award, whereas the Tonys, are the, are the best. And, and, the, and the reason I think the Tonys are the best are one, they don't assume that everybody's already seen the shows. And so they give you a lot of information and context Two, those people know how to be live, which screen mm -hmm. actors very often do not. And those are always so graceful and elegant and lovely. And you really appreciate the Tonys. And plus, of course, the greatest pleasure of the Tonys is watching the hashtag Tonys on Twitter and seeing all of the <laughs> theater people going nuts over stuff. But uh -huh. the Oscars are have always been too long and messy and saggy and and you know and and not that many people are interested in it anymore. I've always and, resented that ABC loves to drag it out because yeah. the longer it goes, 
the more commercials they can sell. And over the years, it has become less and less about the movies and more and more about uh, getting a big audience and letting people parade in their finery. Yes, we were, I agree. And moving to the East Coast years ago, I learned how late you have to stay up to watch them. We, we were talking last week about, you know, the fact that they're not allowing people to, to do Zoom acceptance speeches. And this story was breaking, I think, as we were doing the podcast, but they have since decided that they're going to have um, what they're calling these Oscar hubs in London and Paris, where people who are in Europe will be able to go to those places to accept things in person so they can keep this kind of zoom ban in place and i believe they've also enabled anybody who's supposed to go to the oscars to get like a essential worker exemption that allows them to travel <laughs> to be yeah. there yeah yeah it's essential well i still hold out the grammys as being a really good example of how to have uh an award show this year mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and and they're they're not having a host at the oscars right they're just going to be doing that relay race type thing yeah yeah well yeah. you know uh, uh, i'll i'll watch it and i'm sure it will be fun some of it's going to be in <laughs> union station in la and so i'm excited about that because i like that building did you mm -hmm. see daniel kaluuya hosting saturday night live yes yeah, i did because he, he took the opportunity to replay <laughs> the golden <Globes. laughs> you're on mute <laughs> as you can see we unfortunately have a bad connection i was muted can you believe that i told the best joke of my life and i was muted i felt like i was in a sunken place you know the other thing that and we have talked about this and talked about this but people don't know the movies this year. There's not that much buzz about the Oscar-nominated movies. Yeah, you don't have uh, an Aaron Brockovich or you know something that everybody's seen and talked about. If Nomadland is the front runner, which I think we all mm -hmm. think is the front mm -hmm. runner, probably. Yeah, yeah. How many people have seen? I mean, just going to my own family, I think two people have seen it. Well, and I hear from people who say, "God, it was so depressing." Okay. And you know, I thought it was uh, creative and something new, but I didn't actually think it was that depressing. I thought it was no poignant, but not depressing. So, by the way, let's talk about the award winners of the Screen Actors Guild. Trial of the Chicago Seven won Best Ensemble, and usually that goes on to win uh, the Best Movie Oscar. But uh, Nomadland was not in the running, so I we think Nomadland is still it. Didn't Nomad's Land get the PGA or the WGA, which is just the PGA? It did, yeah, PGA, I believe so. Is, I think that what we in the world of finance call a leading indicator. That, uh, <laughs> what did you think of the win of Trial of the Chicago Seven, being a Chicago? Yes, fan? I am a Chicagoan and was in high school when the trial was going on, and it uh, was uh -huh. it was it was our OJ. I mean, it was the. Yeah number one topic of conversation and a lot of my friends ditched school and went and, and sat in on the on the trial and i later had a, a matter before judge hoffman in chicago so mm. i had a crazy wow. i'll tell you about it later it was a crazy story so i'm very invested in that movie i thought i am all in on that movie i love that movie but i don't think it is a prayer for best picture 
And no. that's okay with me. Uh, any discussion of the other winners? Viola Davis, that was a surprise for Ma Rainey, but a nice surprise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then the rest, Chadwick Boseman and uh, Young Jung Jung of Minari uh, mm -hmm. and uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Mm -hmm. uh, and that pretty much it's the usual I suspects. I was a little surprised by Daniel Kaluuya. And uh, of course, the Oscars, he's up against his co-star, which is generally difficult mm -hmm. because they mm -hmm. tend to split the vote. But always, I think that the supporting category is are, are the most interesting categories and the and the dip, most difficult to to pick a winner in because they're all terrific. Mm -hmm. uh, any thoughts on I understand Kong versus Godzilla, which I elected not to watch. <laughs> happily had uh, a nice opening weekend in theaters any uh, any thoughts on that i mean that's the kind of movie that you want to see on a big screen assuming that you want to see it at all that's the venue in which you would want to see it i think you know for better or worse we're at a moment where people are feeling a little more hopeful they're starting to open some theaters again you know, hopefully that doesn't mean people are getting too cavalier about the pandemic, mm. but I think that that was a combination of the right type of movie landing at the right time when people maybe felt a little more comfortable trying to get out again. I completely agree. And of course, not much competition there uh, right. either. And uh, I will say that I did enjoy the movie. I, you know, I'm Team Kong. I think we mammals have to stick together against <laughs> the reptiles. <laughs> And I just, all I wanted from that movie was to see Kong land a roundhouse punch on Godzilla's head, which he did. And even though I correctly predicted exactly where it was going from the beginning, um, I was I was fine seeing it all play out. But I, just, I did not see it in the theater. I saw it at home. Now there's a quote. I'm Team Kong. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm Team so, Kyle Chandler, and they needed more of him. Then uh, <laughs> I would watch an entire two hours of just Kyle Chandler. I, I, I should, any movie I've ever seen him in, I thought they should have more Kyle Chandler. Uh, yeah. I love Kyle Chandler, and I love Alexander Skarsgård also. I I'm Team Ernest Hemingway. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Lewis, what's going on in the Cats household? What are you guys watching? We just wrapped up last night uh, the Tina Turner documentary, and I yeah, and yeah, I, I'm not actually embarrassed to admit this, but being in the radio business for all the decades that I was, uh, I had no idea about how bad things were with her and Ike. I just had oh. Wow. I mean, I knew I knew it was an abusive relationship, but the details that, that came out in that documentary were just scary. So we would well, and the movie What's Love Got to Do with It, uh, I think pretty much covered that. And I was always interested that she, at least uh, when it opened, said she hadn't seen it and didn't want to see it. Yeah. You know, she lived through it. Why would yeah. she? Yeah. So yeah. That's what we've been watching. And here's what you get to hear. On Hound Radio, our World of Dogs feature, it sounds like this. Hound Radio pauses the music for another wonderful look into the world of dogs with Faith Lapidus. We share so much with our dogs. A walk at sunset, a game of fetch, a cuddle on the couch, a risk for type 2 diabetes. That's right. A new study from Europe suggests that if a dog has diabetes, there's an increased risk its owner will too. Researchers also found an insignificant link in the other direction. 
dogs were at a slightly higher risk for developing the condition if their owners were diabetic. But that doesn't mean diabetes is contagious. It's possible that owners of diabetic dogs are more aware of the disease, so are more inclined to request screening for themselves, which could lead to a better early detection rate. So that's good. However, earlier studies have shown that dog owners who are overweight, which increases the diabetes risk, tend to have overweight dogs. That could be the result of a shared sedentary lifestyle. Too many treats, not enough walks. I'm Faith Lapidus for Hound Radio. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. We always love having Nell Minow on for a lot of reasons. Uh, I happen to be a longtime fan of her father, Newton Minow, who made the famous Vast Wasteland speech a few years before I went to college to learn how to work in the vast wasteland. <laughs> and now you've, uh, you've written about your father. I have. I was so excited that Emmy Magazine, which is the magazine of the television industry, asked me to interview my dad for the 60th anniversary of that speech, not to make you feel old, Arch. And <laughs> older. <laughs> and it got, it gave me opportunity to ask him about some of my favorite stories, including how the sinking ship on Gilligan's Island was named as an insult to him, the SS Minnow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and uh, how he helped to get Sesame Street started, how President Kennedy called him at home one night while we were having dinner to complain about Huntley Brinkley and tell him to could cancel the TV license for the network. And he said, absolutely. And then of course did nothing about it. And, and the president later came over to him and said, thank you very much. <laughs> but I think my favorite story in the article is about how my dad early on uh, in, at the, as the 35 year old chairman of the FCC got a call from Mrs. Roosevelt. And uh, she, she said that that there was a black minister running for office in Mississippi and the television station wouldn't sell him advertising time and about what mm -hmm. happened then. And it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful story with a very happy ending. You'll post it. We can see it online if we can't get the magazine. You certainly will. And the magazine is available for anybody who just wants to buy an individual issue just on the, uh, on the Emmy Magazine website. And if we want to just find it on the web, uh, what, do we, what do we look for? Emmy Magazine, and of course, it'll be on my uh, my site as well, moviemom.com, and it will be available in nine days. Cool. Okay. So, uh, Jen, uh, would you like to throw this week's curveball at us in you know, flashbacks and favorites? That is an apt choice of words on your part. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Because, you know, baseball is getting back in gear. And so, of course, I thought it was a good time to ask, what is your favorite baseball movie? Okay. My late uncle, a uh, very important person in my life, was the biggest baseball fan alive. And his favorite baseball movie was Ray Milland, It Happens Every Spring. Mm. I highly recommend that one. But I'm going to say, you know, I love Bull Durham. I love a lot of baseball movies. But my favorite is Bang the Drum Slowly with a young Oh, what a great choice. I'm scared. Hold on to me. You know about the condition of my son. Yes, sir. How, how can he be so sick and play so well? And that was 
kind of uh, one of the places you could find uh, first find Robert De Niro. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Field of Dreams <laughs> for a lot of reasons, but uh, I really love the way Field of Dreams takes you down that road one step at a time, and then they get you to believe the next step, and then on and on, and then the payoff. And uh, I actually went to uh, Dyersville, Iowa, and saw uh, half of the Field of Dreams, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the field was <laughs> spread out over two pieces of land and uh, one uh, owner decided he wanted to grow corn. So they uh, build an arch will come. <laughs> so, uh, Lou, what, what do you like uh, baseball wise? You guys are going to slap me around for this one. But how about the Brad Pitt Jonah Hill movie called Moneyball? I love that movie. Well, that is one of my all-time favorite movies ever. I mean, the whole the whole thing about the math and and the analytics and, and I I you know I don't think it was certainly the most popular baseball movie to ever be uh, to release, but it was one of my favorites. I, I always liked that one. Jen, <laughs> I was going to highlight a movie that um, isn't talked about as much when it comes to baseball films, and that's a movie called Sugar that came out in two thousand eight. Mm was directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. And it's about a, a player from the Dominican Republic who comes to the United oh, States yeah. and has to adjust to, to living here and, and trying to succeed as a baseball player. I really like that movie a lot. And I, I for many reasons, but, but because I, I felt like it was telling a baseball story that I really hadn't seen anybody else tell before. And I believe it's available on Hulu if you'd like to check it out. It's called Sugar. Great movie. Wow. Sweet. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, uh, any final thoughts? We're uh, we're marching up toward the Oscars. Are we excited about that? Is there anything to uh, cheer about? Springtime, maybe. <laughs> is there is there an Oscar candidate, an Oscar nominee that you're particularly rooting for? Uh, I like that Daniel Kaluuya is uh, coming forward because I really admire uh, his work, especially um, starting with uh, Get Out. And I'm just glad he's getting that kind of, of, um, of recognition. Jim? I just want it to be over. <laughs> I'm rooting for it to be over. It, it has been a long, long long Oscar season, but look at it this way. Oscars 2022, we're going to have like an eight month period. So it'll, everything will be kind of zip along at that point. Will any good change come out of this? I mean, you know, we're seeing a lot of things change right in front of our eyes. Do you see anything good coming out of this? <laughs> well, the Oscar nominations this year, I hope it's not an anomaly, are closer to the Spirit Award nominations. And that's, I, I've always felt that the Spirit Awards are more authentic and more indicative of actual quality rather than people voting for their friends and, uh, or voting for what they think they should vote for or yeah. voting for on box office. So I hope that continues. So uh, speaking of the future, Lou, how will you wrap us up today? Well, I know you guys were talking, <clears throat> excuse me, earlier in the podcast about how much you love the new uh, Michelle Pfeiffer movie. As soon as I hear her name, I get flashbacks to her being on the piano in the fabulous Baker Boys. Uh, yes. And I, I, 
Right, and I uh, I thought we'd wrap up this podcast with Making Whoopi, sung by <laughs> the one, the only Michelle Pfeiffer. Enjoy that. Have a great week, and we'll catch you next time around. Another bride, another tune, another sunny honeymoon, another season. Another reason for making whoopee. A lot of shoes, a lot of rice. The groom is nervous. He answers twice It's really killing That he's so willing To make Whoopi Picture a little love nest Down This is the CATS Podcasting System.